now to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. When you think about the word ministry, what comes to your mind? Is that something that you just think is for pastors? That's, that's the, the work of the elders. That's the, what the church does. The church has ministries. Maybe you think about the Sunday morning service. You think about kids' ministry, youth ministry, men's and women's ministry. Maybe you think of the fall festival that we do for, as an outreach. Those are what, that's what ministry is. And what I want for you to do this morning is to think beyond that. Think just beyond those things that the church offers from a structural standpoint. Those are only parts of what ministry is. Ministry is not confined to the church building. Ministry is not confined to the programmatic side of what we do here. Do you realize that every Christian is called to full-time ministry? Have you ever thought about that? You may not be getting paid by the church. It's not like not everybody is Zach and I who our full-time job is ministry. And the, like, that, that, that's what we get paid to do. But the reality is, is many of you are going to reach people that we will never have contact with. I don't live in your neighborhood. I don't work at your job. I don't live in your house. Each and every believer in Christ is called to be a full-time minister. And in ministry, it's important for us to understand this. There are challenges and there are triumphs when it comes to ministry. And with the apostles, the same thing is true. What we're going to see here this morning are some challenges that they faced in doing ministry. But also in the midst of that, how God uses those challenges for his glory. So let's jump into the text now. Acts 15, starting in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. And what an amazing gift the Bible is to us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to comprehend, at least in a small portion, this gift 
that we hold in our hands, Lord. You have not left us on our own to try to figure it out based on our emotions or what man thinks around us, God. But, but you have given us your word, words that you breathed out for us to have. And so, God, let us not look at this lightly. And, Lord, this morning I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would challenge us, Lord. I pray that you would indeed remind us all that we are all called to full-time ministry. Whether we get paid for it or not, God, we are called to glorify you and make disciples. This is not just something that we do on Sunday mornings and at small group during the week. This is something that we are called to give our lives to. And, Lord, in that there are challenges. There are things that we encounter that are hard, but God, even in the midst of those, you use them for good to bring triumph. And so, Lord, would you speak to us this morning, God? Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive what it is that we need to receive from you this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we looked at the fact that we are stronger together. Paul and Barnabas, along with the church, work together in unity they went with other believers to deliver the good news of salvation apart from the law to the church in Antioch. Salvation is by grace, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They delivered this message to the church. And there was great encouragement amongst the church. Things were moving along extremely well. And in ministry, we have seasons like that, don't we? We have times where things are flourishing, where, where there's so much to praise God for. But the reality is it's not always easy, is it? There are many challenges that we face when we decide to live for Christ. We invite an enemy into our lives when we do that. And the same was true here with the apostles in Acts. And the first truth about ministry that we see in this passage is this. There is no perfect ministry. There is no perfect ministry. Ministry, you could also say this, there are no perfect ministers. Look again at verse 36. And, some days, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So here, here's what's going on here. Uh, they, they've had their first missionary trip and here Paul is getting ready to go out on his second missionary trip. And so they're wanting to go back to other churches that they have ministered to. Uh, disciples were made. Churches were planted. And so they're wanting to check on them to see how things are going. Verse 37 continues. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. Do you remember Mark? Uh, Mark joined them in, in earlier in Acts. And on the way uh, to this hard terrain place... Something happened with Mark. Verse 38, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And so Paul's like, wait a minute, don't you remember what he did? Now here's something to note about Mark. Uh, he is Barnabas' cousin. So there's a, family, uh, there's a family tie here that wants Mark to come. That's why Barnabas wants Mark to come with him. That's part of it. Uh, but Paul doesn't want anything to do with that. And because of it, verse 39 says, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. This is the, the reality of ministry. Sadly, we are 
broken people who live in a broken world and ministry isn't perfect. There are no perfect churches. There are no perfect pastors. Unfortunately, we sin against each other. Hopefully that's not something we plan on doing, but that's what happens. And there arose such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And the question that came to my mind as I'm reading through this again, I've, I've read through this story before, but I still come with the question, like, who is at fault here? Like, who was the one that sinned? Was it, was it Paul or was it Barnabas? I mean, and, and there, there's a sense where you might feel like, well, it's Barnabas because in verse 40 it says uh, they commended uh, Paul and Silas to depart by the grace of the Lord. Uh, there are other people who would think, well, because Paul was such a great leader in the church that Paul wasn't at fault here. But we don't really truly know who was at fault here. And so uh, let's just think about this because I think Paul and Barnabas are different people. And they have different strengths. And, and I, I wouldn't, I, the way I would say it is I think they're both right and I think they're both wrong. So let's look at Paul at first hand. What was Paul like? Paul was like this type A driver who pushed hard to get things done. A very gifted man who would run through a wall in order to accomplish tasks and he could get things done. How many would agree this is a good quality to have? Absolutely, this is a good quality to have. Barnabas, on the other hand, he wasn't as focused on tasks as much as he was focused on people. He loved people. He was an encourager. That's what his name meant. And so he could come alongside and encourage brothers and sisters in Christ. How many of you want that guy in your church? We need both of these people. We need, on one hand, we need those drivers who are going to help us get things done. But we also need those people who are going to care well for those around us. But here's the problem with both of these sides, kinds of people. Well, first of all, let's do a little, let's do a little survey here to see who we have. There's, there's usually two groups of people in the church. There are those of us who are task-driven, type A, let's get stuff done. If you are that kind of person, just raise your hand real quick. Go ahead, raise them high. Don't be shy. You guys are drivers. You're leaders, right? And on the other hand, there are people who they, they care not so much about getting things done as they much they care about the people in the process. They care about the relationships and want to make sure this is where I would find. So who's with me on that side of things? All right. So we're about, we're about half and half. Here's the thing. When it comes to both of these kinds of people, there are extremes that we fall off of. Each of us are tempted to fall off the saddle one way or the, or the other. For those who are type A drivers, what can tend to happen with these people is that they don't care so much about people getting run over as long as the task gets completed. And so often what can happen is they can leave people in their dust and they've ran them over. How many of you agree that running people over is not a good idea? <laughs> now, lest you think you're a, a people person, that you are better, here's what happens with us. The saddle that we tend to, the side that we tend to fall off of is because we care so much about people, we can come to the place where we care too much about what people think of us. So that means we aren't willing to say the hard things or we could find ourselves in a place where we're not willing to say the hard things that we should say. And perhaps we allow people back into a place of leadership who shouldn't be there because they've never repented of the sin that they committed in the first place. But because we love people and we're afraid to, to mess things up, we can find ourselves going to that extreme. Each of these things are bad. 
And so who's at fault here? I think in a sense, they're both at fault. The reality is we should not look at this as if this is a good picture of ministry, that it's good to have conflict and fight and then have sharp disagreements and split our own ways. But we also need to understand the fact that we are all human. We're all fall short. None of us is nailing the Christian life. And we need to understand that. There's no perfect ministry. And I hate to break it to you. I am not a perfect pastor. I've made plenty of mistakes in my time. And we need to have that understanding so that when we come against something that isn't right, that it's not an, an obstacle that we need to get ourselves away from, but it's an opportunity to lean into one another so that we can help each other grow. And sometimes we say things in the heat of the moment where our passions get out of control, and it's a moment of weakness. How many of you have had moments of weakness in your life where you go the wrong way? How many of you want to be judged by your weaknesses? How many of you want to be looked at those times where you screw up? And here's what we have to remember. We are all ministers of the gospel, but we are all imperfect ministers of the gospel. When we understand that, then we can have some compassion when we go sideways. We have compassion on the one who runs over people with the bus because we know that sometimes we don't say the things that we need to say in order to help somebody grow in their faith. There is no such thing as perfect ministry. There are no such things as perfect ministers except for one, and his name was Jesus. Look at the second part of verse 39. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here's another truth that we see about ministry. God uses bad things for good in ministry. God uses the negative things that happen for good in ministry. It, it really is tragic what happens here. We, we should not look at this and celebrate the fact that they had such a start, sharp disagreement that led them to split apart. It doesn't justify us getting in fights with one another and splitting from each other. The good news is that Paul did clear things up with Mark. In fact, in 2 Timothy 4.11, he describes Mark as being very useful for him. So they did work things out here. Not only that, but God ended up using this breakup for good. So now instead of having one group of people who are ministering to the church, you have these two groups who are able to go and visit these different churches and encourage them. So there's multiplication that happens here. So even though this is a tragic thing, God used it for good. God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? The hard part is that we find ourselves stuck in the moment. And we can't always see and understand that God can use these hard things for good. We are stuck with our emotions. We are stuck with the fact that now there's this, feels like there's this wall between us. And we can't figure out how in the world could God possibly use this for good. But here's the thing. Is God faithful? Has God always been faithful? then we can trust when the bad things come that God will use it 
for the good of the people who love him, according to Romans 8.28. All God's promises are what? Yes and amen. He uses the bad things for our good. Uh, we planted uh, our campus, our church as a campus, in April of 2019. Remember those days? It's hard to remember <laughs> what life was like before COVID. And even in our short period of three years, there have been a lot of bad things that have happened. A lot of hard things. A lot of moments where if I could just be honest with you, I had my resignation letter ready just because I'm a mess. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, COVID was hard for me. How am I supposed to minister in the midst of this? What am I supposed to do? I feel lost. I feel, you know, you guys remember, like at the beginning of it, we were at the school and we found out that the school no longer was going to allow us to be there anymore. And so we took six months trying to find a new building and nothing good, no good options were coming about. And there were times where I asked the Lord and asked myself, like, are we going to survive? We're going to make it through this? And I thought, this is terrible. We put all this money, all this investment to the school that really was a great spot for us. It fit our people well. We had more seats than we do here. The children's spaces were bigger. God shut it down. God, why would you allow that? But do you remember, it was like two weeks into COVID where we get a phone call saying, hey, we have this building. We heard that you need a place. And so here we are this morning. God uses the bad things in order to provide something better, to have a place where we can be at all week long. Like God knows what he's doing. And we find ourselves in a new place where we're tight here. If you've checked out the children's rooms, I mean, right now, we have, they're probably like sardines in some of these classrooms. If you, we have 16 kids last week in that classroom right here. And, and, and there is not much space. And we find ourselves, Lord, what do we do? So here's a little building update. We had you pray and fast up until the end of March. And uh, I went, we went, I talked to the owners this week. And I just want to express too, they've been wonderful to work with. Like I would hate for you to think that they're forcing our hand. They are not. They've been gracious and wonderful to work with. And so I went with them and said, hey, we're at an impasse right now. We, it's not a yes and it's not a no. We're still praying. What happens if we don't know by April 1st? And so by God's grace, they are extending that to the end of May. And so you get to continue to pray and fast on Wednesdays. <laughs> and ask that you continue to pray that God would lead and give us direction. But we know that in the sense of you could say that this is a bad thing. Like, yeah, we'd have to buy the building, but we don't really have money to do a big building campaign on top of that. We still trust that God is good and he's going to be faithful because he's always been that way. And here's what, ha- here's what we need to believe and trust. God uses bad things for good in ministry. Isn't that amazing? Like who else has that promise? Who else can look at a bad situation and trust that the Lord is right in the middle of it? But as believers in Jesus, we know that God works everything for the good of those who love him. Even the bad things. Makes me also think of Joseph. You remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Kind of a spoiled brat. He was like the... 11th son of 12, and he had these dreams where his brothers and his parents were bowing down to him. And if you remember right, the brothers said, oh, Joseph, you're a wonderful brother. Is that what they said to him? (laughs) Nobody likes an arrogant younger brother, right? Like nobody likes that kid who's the youngest and he's like a punk and you're like, I don't want anything to do with that. And so they're out and about in the field and the brothers get an idea like, man, let's get rid of Joseph. Look, look, here's some, let's kill him. 
He's, he got this coat. His father gave him this coat of many colors. Uh, or if you're a musical, it's a technicolor raincoat, if you like musicals. And, I mean, how would you feel if you're the young guy, got, like, the favorite coat from, his, from your father? Like, this, he was not a good parent in doing this. And so they were going to kill him, and they're like, no, we don't want to do that. Let's throw him in this pit until we figure out what's going on. And then these traders from Egypt come, and they're like, let's sell him into slavery. And we'll take the coat, we'll wrangle it up, we'll get some blood on it, and let's take, tell dad that he died. And so that's what they do. They sell him into slavery. Uh, Joseph ends up going into Egypt. He is then put into Potiphar's household, who was a high guy, a guy that was high up in Egypt. And he rose to being second in command over his household. But Potiphar had a bad wife who was flirting with Joseph. And Joseph was a man of God who wanted nothing to do with it. And after time after time after time of Potiphar's wife trying to get Joseph to sleep with her, he finally bails right in the middle of one of these times. And of course, Potiphar's wife frames Joseph. Joseph is thrown back into prison. And while he's in prison, there are these two people in the king's care who have these dreams. And they go to Joseph to ask him, what do these dreams mean? And Joseph interprets the dreams. The dreams comes true. One of the guys dies and the other one lives. He tells the guy that lives, hey, remember me. And, of course, the guy forgot. And he spends, Joseph spends more time in prison. And then the king has a dream. And the cupbearer remembers, oh, that's right. I totally forgot. There's this dude in prison who interpreted my dreams. He could interpret your dreams. Nobody else could interpret the dream that the king had. And so he brings, the king brings Joseph before the king. And the dreams that the king had were about a famine that was coming. And Joseph was able to deliver that dream. And just as he dreamed, that's what took place. And the king took Joseph and put him in, again at a high place of command over Egypt to help Egypt through the famine. And it was through that that God's people, the people of Israel, were able to be spared from the famine. And we read this, one of my favorite verses in scripture, Genesis 50 verse 20. Joseph said this, as for you, you meant evil against me. So when the brothers found out that Joseph was who he, like was still alive, they were afraid for their life. And when their father died, they were sure that Joseph would kill them. And, and Joseph, this is when he said that after this. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God is able to take bad situations and use them for good. It doesn't justify bad. We shouldn't do bad so that God would use it for good, but we can find hope in a broken world that even though there's no perfect ministry, there's no perfect minister, God still uses those things for good. Amen? Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. 
Here's truth number three when it comes to ministry. Discipleship is non-negotiable in ministry. Discipleship is non-negotiable in ministry. What's the mission of our church? Glorify God by what? Making disciples. This is something that Jesus has for all of us. Discipleship is non-negotiable. So on Paul's journey, he runs into a young man by the name of Timothy, one that you've probably heard of. If you've read any of Paul's epistles, his name is mentioned often. There's two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. Perhaps he was saved by the previous visit that he made there. Uh, notice that his, his mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek. And the way it's written here makes you believe that uh, his mom was saved, was a believer, but his father was not. Perhaps his father has passed away at this point because we don't hear anything about him. Uh, we read later in, in, in different uh, um, books of the Bible, we, we hear about the importance of women in Timothy's life. I mean, this is something for you. If you find yourself at a place where uh, mothers, you're married, or maybe you're not married anymore, or maybe you never were, the father's not involved, like there's, hope is not lost for you. <laughs> Timothy was the product of loving, godly women in his life, and they poured into him. And Paul took notice of this young man. He, they, I, I've heard people say he was around 18 years old or so, so late teens, early 20s. He's a young guy. But notice that Paul had Timothy circumcised. Does that not puzzle you based on what we've read about before? What was the whole reason why Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem? Was it not because the Jews were telling the Gentiles, hey, you have to be, you don't have, they, some of them were saying you have to be circumcised. And, and Paul and Barnabas say, you don't have to be circumcised. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So why is Paul having Timothy be circumcised? This doesn't make sense at all. He just got done explaining why that didn't need to happen. Well, I would say it's a little bit complicated here. It's a little bit complicated with Timothy, and we're going to get to that later. So just tuck that aside for right now. But here's what Paul understood about ministry. He knew that this was not something that he and Barnabas, Silas, and Mark could do on their own. Paul's life was limited. His years were limited. There would come a day where he would pass. And if there were not disciples that would rise up behind him, there would be nobody to carry the gospel. This is why discipleship is non-negotiable in ministry. Paul understood that he could not do this on his own. And it's important that you understand that Zach and I and the elders, it's not something that we can do on our own. If this church is going to grow in godliness, if we are going to see people come and repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ, it's not going to be because they came to church. It's not going to be just because of what Ben and Zach and the elders have done. It's going to be because each and every one of you are doing the work of the ministry that God has called you to do. And I think far too often we get sideways on this because we start thinking, well, who am I? I mean, I didn't go to Bible school. I don't, I don't have a Bible degree. I mean, how am I supposed to disciple somebody else? Discipleship is not about you standing in front of 100 people and preaching. Discipleship, is that part of discipleship? 
Certainly. I mean, I certainly pray and hope that when you come on Sunday mornings, you are encouraged, that you're challenged, that you grow as a disciple in the Lord. But, but discipleship goes even far beyond that. Discipleship goes beyond the worship team who comes and prepares our hearts so that we hear from the word to remind us of the grace of God. Discipleship happens when we sit down with another brother or sister and we go through God's word together. And we seek the Lord together. And we ask him to open our hearts. Do you believe as a believer that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? Do you believe that? If the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, what does that mean for your capability to disciple somebody else? Discipleship is non-negotiable. And the question comes, number one, have I been discipled? Am I being discipled? Am I discipling? If God has given you his spirit, he's given you the capability to disciple somebody else. It doesn't mean that you have to have all the answers. In fact, some of the best disciples are those who acknowledge the fact that they don't have it all together, but they're willing to seek God's word out together. One of the greatest things about uh, our small group that we're in, our mixed small group that we meet every other Sunday night, is that we just open up God's word together. I don't come ready to preach a sermon I'm like, Lord, meet with us. Let's wrestle through the scripture together. And it's been so incredibly fruitful. Disciples are being made. Are you looking for opportunities whom you can disciple someone? Is there somebody in your life who you can just encourage? You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a Bible scholar in order to help somebody out. But we also, we must realize Discipleship is non-negotiable in ministry. So let's talk about this puzzling thought, reality that Timothy was circumcised, that Paul had him circumcised. Why did he do this? And here's what we need to understand. Paul didn't have him do this in order to earn favor with God. This was not a mark of salvation. This was not for Timothy to be made right before God. We must understand that. Rather, this was a way that he could minister to the Jews. Because his mom was Jewish, the, the people around him knew that he was Jewish. They knew his father was a Greek as well, we see here. Like in order to best minister to the Jews, it was important that Timothy was circumcised because this would have been a deal breaker for some of these Jews who would hear. Like, who are you? You're not circumcised. And so this was an opportunity for Timothy to serve these Jews who were hung up on this idea of circumcision. Here's the fourth uh, truth that we see about ministry. Ministry is a call to sacrifice. Ministry is a call to sacrifice. This would have been a stumbling block if he was not circumcised. And so because Timothy cared for the advancement of the gospel and did not want to have a stumbling block in the way, he decided to go through with this. And as I was pondering and thinking and praying through this this week, I was reminded of 1 Corinthians 9. So keep your finger here and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's just a, a couple books past Acts in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. I love what 
Paul says here, he is so zoned in to ministering to other people that he gets, he just gets it. He understands the sacrifice of ministry. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19, let me read it for you. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So he didn't consider himself enslaved to those he was serving. Rather, he understood he was called. He was free to do whatever he wanted to, but he wanted to use his freedom to serve the people. Verse 20, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. And so these Jews that Timothy would encounter would be considered under the law. These are the things that they would consider under the law. And so Paul became as if he was under the law, even though he's not, in order that many Jews might be saved. And the same is true for Timothy. Verse 21, to those outside the law, became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So when he acted out, when he was with the Gentiles who had no conviction to be circumcised, no conviction on the law and following the law of Moses, he, he understood that, yes, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the what? The gospel. That I might share with them in its blessings. Why was Timothy circumcised? It wasn't to be made right with God. It was because he wanted to become all things to all people in order that many might be saved. There's a sacrifice when it comes to ministry. And I think that's probably one of the major stumbling blocks of why Christians do not look at themselves as being in ministry. It's because we don't want to do the hard work. Because we don't want to deal with messy people and have to give up a night during the week that I don't really have much of in order to serve somebody who finds themselves in a mess. And if that's our thinking, what we have lost track of is the fact that we are a mess ourselves, that we are in desperate need of of God's grace, of God's mercy. Ministry is messy, but the reason it's messy is because we're messy. And we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to sacrifice our comforts, our freedom, our desires in order that the gospel may advance? In order that people may see Jesus, are we willing to lay down the entertainment that we would rather spend our time participating in so that we can grow in relationship with others? So that we can pull people out of the muck as God has pulled us out while we're clinging to him all the more. Ministry is not easy. Jesus didn't call us to be saved so that you can have an easy life. That's not the call. Many of you have probably heard that from many pastors who forget the fact that Jesus said, whoever would come after me must do what? Deny himself. Does that sound like an easy life to you? Take up your cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? Daily we are tempted to do what? We're tempted to live for ourselves. 
We're tempted to live for our own comforts, for our own securities. And Jesus is calling us to lay it down every day. To deny yourself. He has to tell us that because we, our nature is not to deny ourselves. Our, our nature is to do everything we can to make life easier for us. And I think that's why often ministry doesn't happen amongst believers. is because we just don't want to sacrifice. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Let me think about this. Think about if you were Jesus. You're enjoying heaven. You're viewing humanity from the throne room <laughs> with the angels who are praising God continuously all day long. And then God's like, all right, son, it's time for you to leave heaven and go to earth. How many of you are thinking, no, 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 no. Like, wait a minute here. I'm observing what's going on down there. I don't want any part to do with that. Isn't that our, what our nature would be? <laughs> that looks hard. But that was the plan all along. Jesus didn't have that attitude. He didn't have this thought of, I don't want to leave the comforts of heaven for, to go there. He's like, yes, let's do this. Because he was able to see the joy that awaited him once his ministry on earth was done. And so he literally sacrificed his life. On the cross for the sins of every person who would ever believe. Aren't you glad that we serve a Savior who walked the hardest road so that he can sympathize with us in our weakness? Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that he hasn't already done. How many people, how many bosses... (laughs) Demand things from you whom they're never willing to lift the finger to do. And yet our Savior, our Creator, the one who is worthy to just strike us down, laid it down for us. Ministry is a call to sacrifice. It's not easy. But it's worth it. Look at verse 4 of chapter 16. And we'll end on this point. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So this is just reminding them we're not saved through circumcision. We're not saved by following the law of Moses. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So the last truth about ministry is this. The goal of ministry is maturity. The goal of ministry is maturity. So why do we gather on Sundays to hear from the word of God? Why do we encourage one another in song? Why do we gather in small groups to discuss a a book concerning a topic in Scripture, discuss Scripture? Why do we pray together? Why do we confess our sins to one another? Why do we hold each other accountable? Why do we meet with one another and weep? Why do we encourage from God's promises? We do this because we want to be conformed to the image of God's Son. What's the job of the pastors and the elders of the church? It's to help our people Come to maturity in Christ. 
And when we are living mature in Christ, people observe it from the outside and think, what is different about you? I want it. We don't come to church in order to feel good about ourselves. I don't want to deliver a message just to tickle your ears. We're not going to sing songs about us. We want our attention to be upward so that we take our eyes off of ourselves and see the glory of God so that we desire to become like him. We don't have worship in order for you to have your emotions stirred and have your feelings met. We want you to encounter the living God. And I don't want you to leave here changed. The goal of coming together is so that we become more and more like Jesus. And so as you observe your life, do you see this growth that's taking place? Are you becoming more and more like Christ? Not perfect. But he who began a good work is bringing it to completion. And so there's progress for those who are true believers. Is there progress in your life? Do you come ready to receive from the Lord? Do you come expecting God to show up? That might be one reason why Sundays do nothing for you is because you come to check a box. Hey, I should go to church. That's what good church people do. But do you come realizing where two or more are gathered in his name that God is surely with us? Do you believe that this is the true word of God? That he wrote this? All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us so that what? The man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That sounds a lot like maturity. Are you growing in Christ? Are you maturing? Maturity looks like this. We stopped, we stopped focusing so much on ourselves and we start to realize, I want others around me to taste and see that the Lord is good. To experience God as I have through his word. And so I'm going to come along other brothers and sisters. I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I'm willing to step into it because I trust that the spirit who dwells in me is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And if that's the same spirit, then he's going to work through me to help encourage other brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you have a Timothy in your life? Do you have a Paul? Perhaps for some of you, the best step for you is maybe not thinking about a Timothy, but man, you just need somebody who can pour into you. That you're willing to say, I need help. I want, what you, I want what you're talking about, but I don't know how to get there. That's a great, that's a great place to start. The goal of ministry is maturity. Why should you give your lives to ministry wherever you are? Because the mission of our lives is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We are all in full-time ministry. Is ministry hard? Yes, incredibly so. We are all messy, and therefore, ministering to one another will lead to messes at times. But we can trust that through the hard things, through the bad things that come about, God can work it for our good. So don't give up when it's hard. And remember, ministry is a call to sacrifice. 
Ministry is a call for you to lay it down so that God would be glorified through your life. And as we do that, we're going to see God mature us. And we're going to see others conform to the image of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for the reminder this morning that ministry is no cakewalk. When we choose to put you at the center, Lord, we are inviting someone whom we are getting in the way of. We are inviting an enemy in our life. And we also have to deal with our own flesh. God, remind us this morning that we don't wait to get involved in ministry when we're perfect because that never comes. Lord, we are all people in need of change just looking to help other people in need of change. There's only one true perfect shepherd, Jesus. And God, remind us that through the mess, Lord, that you are working everything for the good of those who love you, Lord. We, what an amazing thing, Lord, that we're going to get it wrong. We're going to screw up. God, lead us to repentance, but Lord, also help us to trust that you work despite our failures. You know our weaknesses, Father. In our, and when we are weak, you are strong. <laughs> it's amazing. So, Lord, let us be willing to make the sacrifice Remind us that discipleship is non-negotiable. It's not something we can pass up. It's not something that we leave for somebody else. Encourage us, Lord, that if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us, there is great power that we can use to glorify your name and help mature other believers. So God, grow us more and more and more into the image of Christ. Mature us as a church God, keep us from just being so internal that we would be reminded of the world that's out there. Reminded of the mission field that needs believers who are living authentic Christian lives. God, be glorified through our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me leave you with a couple action steps that you can put into practice if you want to go a little bit deeper, a little bit further in what we've talked about. I encourage you to memorize 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23. Just the reminder of Paul said being coming all things to all people in order that many may be saved. Just what does that mean for you? It might mean that you're, you're willing to give up something. You're willing to sacrifice for the sake of Christ. I encourage you to memorize that. And spend, spend a little bit of time looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Spend some time reading through praying through, asking what God may have for you in light of ministering to other people, in, in light of the call that this is not just for those who are in full-time ministry, but if, if God has rescued us from our sin, he's called us to do that. And so may that encourage you and challenge you in your faith. And then these two things. Maybe you're not ready to take on a Timothy, but you need somebody that you just want to go deeper with. Maybe you find yourself in a mess just tripping over yourself. Like you want these things, but you don't know how to grow. I'd encourage you to pray. Pray for a Paul. Pray for somebody to come into your life, somebody you can seek after that, that could disciple you. 
There's no, there's nothing wrong with saying you need help. We live in a culture that somehow that is a negative thing. Like, I can't ask for prayer. Like, I'm too good for that. Let's get over that. And maybe you're at a place of maturity where it's like you're receiving, God's growing you, but you need to find a Timothy. God wants you to invest into the next generation. Let me encourage you to do those things. If you, and if you need prayer, uh, after every service, I'm up here. Mark's usually up here. When Aaron's available, he, he's up here for prayer. Maybe there's somebody that you came with who you could ask for prayer. Let's be a humble people that realizes we are in desperate need of Christ. And don't be afraid to come and seek God for prayer. And so let me invite you to stand as I close in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for, again, for this time that we have. I pray for us, Lord, as we leave the comforts of the church building to go into the world, remind us that we are called to go glorify you and make disciples. God, that we are heading into the mission field that is desperate to hear the good news that we hold so dearly. God, keep us from being so inward focused that we would be willing to sacrifice in order to reach out. God, would you draw us near to you? God, would you remind us of our desperate need for you? And church, I, I challenge you with these words from Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You, church, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God, let this be true of us. Remind us that we are the salt and light. Let us shine bright and true for you alone, for your glory alone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Love you guys.